Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. But there's no denying at the end when you have hardly anything going to landfill, when you have no plastic in your recycling, just a bit of glass and tin, every part of you knows that that is better than the alternative. After witnessing illegal landfill sites cascading into the sea on remote islands off the Mediterranean, Jackie Scrooby and her family took personal action, embarking on plastic-free living. In her career, Jackie has advised the big end of town on environmental policy as an environmental lawyer and climate change management consultant, but feels taking individual action is even more powerful and a shift we can all make. Despite the world facing a global plastic problem and Australia facing a national waste crisis, policy focuses on waste management and ignores the elephant in the room to stop generating waste in the first place to help reduce individual household waste. Jackie is on a mission to model that zero waste living needs to be and can be mainstream. She's the founder of an online course, Six Weeks to Plastic Free, which is like a plastic-free boot camp designed to help people quit single-use plastic so effectively that their landfill waste is negligible and they have no more plastic in their recycling. What a fantastic outcome that would be for us all. This conversation with Jackie is such a fabulous one to kick off our second series and call us all to action. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed chatting all things waste and plastic with Jackie Scrooby. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. It's so fabulous to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Amazing. I think we're going to have some fabulous discussion today. So let's kick straight in. If there is one topic that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It would be that I think as a society, we need to shift to a zero waste lifestyle. As hard and as challenging that may be, it needs to be where the future's at. What a fabulous topic and a great one to kick off the year. So you have an organization that is built around this, but I'd love to dig in more about your story and why you're so passionate about this topic. I've been in the environment space for a long time and I've always, I suppose, even since a child been a bit terrified by climate change, which my grandfather told me about, and have always been an environmental advocate, even through school. Moved into sustainability consulting and was an environmental lawyer as well, and was really interested in sort of the climate change aspect. I'd grown up like every Australian thinking that recycling worked. So really waste wasn't on my radar at all. I thought we all put our recycling out. It's this beautiful closed system. Didn't even think about plastic. And I'm embarrassed to say that happened until only a few years ago. And it wasn't till we were in the Mediterranean and going around some of the Greek islands and the Croatian islands. And we witnessed firsthand the extent of the plastic pollution problem in the Med, which was shocking to me because I think 
I think maybe I'd accepted there were some problems in maybe developing countries and around those areas, but to see, to be part of the EU and to be in the Mediterranean and see the change from, you know, 10 years earlier when I'd backpacked around Europe to seeing the state of the Mediterranean when we were there was really shocking. Mm, and it's not the kind of stuff you see on the on the tourism ads, is it? No. So, so and I, I've travelled a lot through those places as well. So is it in like the back kind of areas it's not on the main kind of tourist trail i imagine or are you saying now it's pretty prevalent i'm saying it's pretty prevalent so the the things that we noticed um over the last few years and we were living in the uk so we were traveling to europe quite regularly were the sand the sand full of microplastics and i had young children at the time so i had to actually explain to them that it's not normal to have blue specks in sand and this isn't what sand is meant to look like. There was obviously plastic randomly in the water when you were swimming, but the two really eye-opening ones for us were, um, we were staying in an island in Greece that has a turtle population and these turtles were literally swimming through a mass of plastic that was coming in on a tide and it was a stream of plastic and garbage and the stream just kept coming and coming. Mm. Locals weren't doing much about it Um, So that was a real standout moment and our kids said, do something. We were in the water waiting and getting this plastic out. And then the second thing was in Croatia, we came around a a hill above an area that's been identified by WWF as, you know, the last jewel of the Mediterranean where Mamma Mia was filmed actually. And we just saw a landfill site literally tipping waste into the ocean below. Wow. So off we, the side of the cliff into the, the ocean. Off the side of the cliff. And we, like, it was very confronting. Like, I got upset. My kids, you know, I had a three-year-old who said, why would you put your rubbish there? And I said, mm. I don't know. Mm. And I thought it was a one-off. And then I started to dig around and do some research. And it's quite common on Mediterranean islands for the landfill site not even to be in the middle of the island, but for it to be literally on a cliff on the back side of the island tipping into the sea. Does it just an education piece that people don't, they think the ocean is so large and, you know, infinite that it's not going to be an issue? Is that where this stems from, do you think? I think so. I think there's a cultural thing as well. I mean, it's always been done, but now that the tourism is greater and that, you know, the waste is increasing, yeah. that it's becoming more of a problem. And also it hasn't affected tourism to date. You know, and and I think local populations, because I've spoken to the mayor, uh, a couple of mayors on these islands, Local people don't want better waste management because they think it will come with a tax or a cost. So there are all these issues at play, but overridingly, up until that point, plastic, ocean plastic, waste was just not on my radar. Even though I worked in sustainability, I felt really ignorant, but I had honestly thought the recycling system worked. I honestly thought we had sort of this side of things down pat, and it wasn't until witnessing that and seeing how horrific it was that, you know, that was a catalyst for me to look further into it and also to take personal responsibility and make changes, which my kids held me accountable for. Which, um, you know, you're here to educate all of us today to be better about this. So from that, I mean, I want to talk a bit more about the six weeks to plastic free, which is what we want to get into. But from the story that you just gave us, you started the organisation Tourists Against Trash. Is that right? So that was off the back of trying to make change around that. Exactly. So sort of did the two things at the same time. So uh, what happened through that experience is we got back to London and my kids, who kids keep you honest, looked at our own waste and we, let me tell you, we had a whole foods, like gluten-free, organic, beautiful diet and we produced more waste than anyone else on the street. Uh, Recycling was overflowing. Every, you know, fruit and vegetable in England is wrapped in plastic and Mm. avocado is wrapped in two layers of plastic. 
So my, when we got back, my kids said, oh, you know, you've been critical of all these other places we've gone and look what we're doing. And I said, oh, yes, but it's, of babes. <laughs> I was like, yes, but we're away from the ocean and, you know, we recycle. And then I did some research and at, the, at that exact time, Blue Planet also came out and suddenly all the dots joined. So we saw, you know, that everyone was becoming, you know, very woke on the plastic issue. I did some research and found out that our own recycling from our own borough in England had ended up, you know, classified as recycling, but it ended up in Malaysia illegally dumped in a waterway, which is again how our own recycling, you know, here in Australia or in the UK or in America can end up as ocean plastic. You know, we think we've done the right thing, but it can end up in the ocean. So that's when we decided to go zero waste. And at the same time, I also started Tourists Against Trash, which was after I discovered this landfill issue, basically I wanted to understand the extent of the problem. So the purpose of that is literally just to find locations of landfills within 500 metres of the Mediterranean and document either with photos, drone footage, articles, you know, local council information, um, and basically map that and consolidate the information on each one because it's a silent issue. And is there the intent to educate people and to, um, you know, make change happen, get so, the locals yeah. to at least be passionate about it, understand what's occurring? So twofold. So first is to identify the problem because at the moment it, the EU recognises that there are illegal landfills. They don't know where they're situated. So it's about defining the problem and saying this is what the problem is. These are the locations. This is what's happening. And then secondly, to bring awareness because tourism is a driving force of these places, um, to bring awareness and to make tourists care and then to hopefully get the local communities to understand that they need to address this in order to keep tourists happy and maintain, you know, what they've got. So, yeah, and, and tourism, you know, tourists realising, as you say, that we're part of the problem. Yeah. You know, we bring everyone bringing their um, plastic water bottles or buying, you know, all that sort of plastic crap and then leaving it on the islands. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, some of the remotest places I've ever been to and like the old school days of camping. In, it's still in uh, a lot of different remote parts now of Australia. You have to take all your trash with you, which I think is a beautiful, you know, thing to do. It and makes you uh, hyper aware. It, it makes you really aware yeah. of how much trash you have on a, you know, four day weekend camping. You're like, whoa. Yeah. So um, okay, that's that's fabulous. So so we did two at once, yeah. and then coming back to your question about how the course, and then the course came from that because. I said, so okay, six kids, weeks to plastic free. Yeah. yeah. So when we were on this island, I said, okay, kids, we're not going to use plastic. And we actually, when we went to Turkey, we did a big shop from the markets, plastic free. We had a Berkey water filter, so we weren't buying plastic water bottles. So we did all these changes on the island. And then we went to back to home in London and it was incredibly hard. Right. and frustrating yeah. and I even went to local markets and even though people at the local markets were wrapping everything in plastic so suddenly I thought god is it even possible to go zero waste in the in London like it seemed almost impossible and through that the trials the tribulations the making so much effort at one end and then still seeing plastic in my recycling at the other I thought there's got to be a better process to this so that's when I nailed it finally I then looked back reflected created a process that works and aims to make it efficient and easy for people who want to embark on this journey. Okay, so it's boot camp for kicking plastic out of your your life and your house, right? Exactly, that, that it's a total boot week. camp. Okay, so talk me through it because it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Before you're coming into my house today, I was like, oh my god, I'm so conscious of the plastic, and I think I'm pretty good. But I don't judge. But, but I don't judge. Yeah, but I think course. that's a beautiful thing as well. Is that people, 
you know, they think it's like all or nothing. How, you know, we had a conversation about I don't eat meat as, you know, a pescatarian, haven't eaten meat for 12 or 13 years. And people judge me sometimes on that. But I'm like, I don't expect other people not to. That just works for me. And I do what works for my body. You should do what works for yours equally in your life and just intuitively eat whatever suits you equally with this kind of change and how we can do systemic long-term change that's going to make an impact is to do what actually fundamentally is, you know, having a change every day in your life, not like go flat out and then forget about it, right? Exactly. So, you know, there's amazing initiatives like Plastic Free July. People go flat out and then they leave it. So my course aims to be a boot camp and to help you shift long-term to a sustainable lifestyle, but lots of caveats around that. So, for instance, (laughs) I don't expect everyone to do it, even though at the beginning of the show I'm like, we all need to shift to a zero-waste lifestyle. The government needs to step in. Um, corporations need to step in. I don't expect everyone in every house I walk in to be plastic free now. It's definitely where we need to get to, to have a beautiful, sustainable world. What I try and encourage people to do is to take the people that want to make that change, that feel it's value aligned for them, that feel they want to do something about the environment and don't know how, and then foster them through that process. So they're living their values. It's done in an efficient way, but I don't expect everyone right this second to be plastic free because it's, Mm. you know, it's unrealistic. But for those people who look at the problem and say, I want to do something, I want to teach my kids, I don't know how, and I want to make sustainable changes for the long term, then that's where my course steps in. So it is very different from a lot of other books or influencers who might say, okay, here's a tip, here's a tip this week, a tip that week. We do follow a structure and we do go a bit boot campish and and a bit hardcore and cold turkey, but in the same way an exercise boot camp would operate. So the course is six weeks. The first two or three weeks is like mindset work, understanding the problem, awareness, then probably three weeks of literally, okay, we're going to make a commitment not to bring plastic into the house. And the reason for that is, is because necessity is the mother of invention. So if you don't make that commitment for the three weeks, then there's no way you're going to go and try and make your own crackers because you can always buy crackers or you, there's no way you'll go and seek out where to find strawberries without plastic because they're so accessible everywhere else. So if you are value aligned, if it is something you want to do, I encourage people to do the cold turkey because some beautiful things come out of saying, look, for three weeks or four weeks, I'm literally not going to bring single-use plastic into the house. And then at the end, just like an exercise boot camp, yes, it takes a bit of time. Yes, you've got to prioritize it. You know, but after an exercise or fitness boot camp for eight weeks, you then see your gains. And in my case, it's, okay, we haven't sent anything to landfill or only an inch to landfill. We have no plastic in our recycling. You see the gains, you get excited, and then you reflect, where do I want to be now? Mm. So you're not going to maintain that level of stringency maybe for the rest of your life, Mm. but you will have definitely developed processes and systems that mean you can look back and say, look, I can do all of it, but I really miss that protein powder. So that's going to be my one plastic indulgence. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. 
So there's stuff that you buy, like a lot of the stuff that I buy in plastic, it's, you know, containers and things. I use them over and over and over. So is that still bad in your mind or like you don't want to buy it in the first place is the point. But if that product doesn't come in a glass jar or. Well, okay. So my course follows the process, as I said, the awareness piece. Yeah. And then we can talk about the next piece in a set, which is the big kitchen clear out. Mm. But then the next week is, yes, not bringing plastic into the house. Mm. So it's about investigating. Can I buy that, you know, whether it's say it's yogurt, is there a yogurt that comes in glass? And can I reuse that jar then for cooking and everything and seeking out whether those products exist? And if they don't, the following week, we sort of have a list of everything we couldn't find that's annoying the hell out of us. And some of those things we make. So crackers is one that's almost impossible to find plastic free. So I have really simple recipes so you can whip up your own crackers or you can, there's no yogurt in glass. You learn how to make yogurt Yogurt. in glass. Yeah, great. I mean, recycling is a myth, which we can go into in a second. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. Um, But some of the hardest products to recycle in inverted commas because it doesn't really happen. But, you know, Tetra is pitched to us as, oh yeah, you can recycle Tetra. Any composite material is a nightmare to to recycle and doesn't really get recycled. So learning how to say make oat milk, if you don't buy Tetra anymore, Mm. you realize it's actually super easy. And Mm. why didn't our parents teach us this? It only Mm. takes 10 minutes and it's faster than running to the shops to buy it. Yeah, like your nut milks as well. Exactly, nut milk. It's so expensive to buy, it's crazy. Yeah, so. So help me through then. So, because I mean, a lot of people, you know, you've seen people are a lot more aware of things like Glad Wrap and, you know, people have moved to beeswax wraps and stuff like that. But then they forget, you know, that like the hand soaps we we um, talked to a few weeks ago, oh, yeah, I don't buy that because it's in plastic. I'm like, oh, I couldn't even think about it. So where do we get to in the point of organisation though as well? Like is there bad, really bad plastics versus not so bad or you, your thing is like we shouldn't have anything? I try and keep it simple. So I, I, same with statistics, Hard, plastic, you know, soft plastic, any, yeah, nothing. just nothing. And I've got to put a huge caveat around this is that, you know, people say, what about glass? So transporting glass is heavier, means it uses more carbon emissions. It's not all about plastic, but when you're overwhelmed with information, when there's no way a, an individual can do a life cycle analysis on an individual product, I mean, for the company who produces that product, it would t- cost them $10,000 to look at the upstream and downstream effects. Mm-hmm. You just, as an individual, cannot do that. So instead of being completely overwhelmed about all the considerations, emissions, how far did I have to travel to the market to get that, I say to people, just for this course, just focus on plastics because it's tangible. Mm-hmm. It's something you can quit. Don't get caught up in the detail about which plastic's good, which plastic's bad. Just quit it for the moment. And then at the end of the course, we have a look and reflect back as part of that reflection and say, you know, is it always about plastics? No, it's not. Maybe we, we're, we've come far enough now to be able to grapple other things and other, other considerations like air miles of food and all those sorts of things, mm-hmm. which we do talk about. But the single best thing you can do, it's almost like a gateway drug. Nail the zero waste thing. Nail it for three weeks, four weeks, and then open up to these other discussions. If you try and think about like the good plastics, the bad plastics, initially you're going to be overwhelmed and do nothing Mm. so it's easier just to go cold turkey reduce your waste find so many joys and co-benefits in doing so you know you're going to have a healthier diet you're going to engage with your kids by taking them to the markets you're going to learn who produces your food you're going to have a chat with the butcher maybe or you know Mm. your your fishmonger you have so many co-benefits through going through this process and then at the end, there's no denying good plastics, bad plastics, bioplastics. And we talk about all of them in the course towards the end, so as not to confuse at the beginning. But there's no denying at the end when you have hardly anything going to landfill, 
when you have no plastic in your recycling, just a bit of glass and tin. Every part of you knows that that is better than the alternative. And you aim for the moon and you land in the stars. You won't always be perfect, but it's kind of fine to be imperfect with this. But I still think the best way to get there is do the cold turkey stint. As you know, I do a fair bit of pottery and uh, ceramics and I've been since meeting you months ago. I'm really acutely aware of how much all our clay arrives in plastic. It's like you wrap it in plastic so it doesn't go hard. So I'm like, I don't know how else to do this with clay. I've been thinking about it. The only consolation I've been having in my head is I recycle it all. Like I use the plastic again and again and again. I'm like, well, that's at least I'm trying to do something with it. But yeah, there's things like that to work through. uh, There are things coming out like a a glad wrap that is – so this is the other issue with – being very careful of labels, you really want home compostable. That's the best. Mm. You know, there are lots of issues with bioplastics, but there is a plastic film that has come out that's home compostable. Mm. And so that would be a solution for wrapping, say, clay. So being hyper aware is the start Mm. and then looking at what the options are. Mm. And I think that I certainly don't, and there's no no expectation that people will quit their lives just Mm. to quit plastics. But it's about having the awareness, looking for the alternatives, and often you don't look for the alternatives unless you're in a position where you have to. And that's by making a commitment for a few weeks, I'm going to ditch the plastic and see what's possible. And I think the beautiful thing about your story is that, as you said, and especially coming from this industry, is that you had that kind of viewpoint that, you know, it is government, it's big business, it's, you know, let's start with them versus actually looking at the individual and, you know, what difference can I make as one person with my impact on plastic? But talk to me about that story because I think, you know, as you said about what you found through your travels, but actually the impact that you've been able to make yourselves and the difference that that's been has been significant right and that's made a huge difference and I think some of the campaigning that's been going on in other parts of the world as well around this is um, testament to that yeah yeah exactly so I mean that is I always grew up thinking oh it's about government and that's why I went into consulting to you know big business and government and that's where the change happens but I get so much personal satisfaction doing this individual action as opposed to all my advisory work to government and to corporations. And I've also had feedback that I've inspired other people or people have made changes. So I definitely feel that um, while I'm not naive, I don't think me reducing my waste is actually going to make a dot of difference to this year's, you know, global waste problem. But the momentum is building and it only builds through this individual action. And then companies and governments only respond to individual action and to journalists doing exposés and and investigative journalism or Blue Planet. And in the UK, we went travelling for a year, which we did zero waste. We came back to London after a year and the changes that I saw in packaging there was a supermarket that had a plastic, uh, plastic-free aisle. Morrison's was accepting containers for you to put your beef or meat or, you know, fish in. There were changes within a year. It was testament to individual action. Mm. I think it was Whole Foods as well, which Whole Foods has a lot of greenwashing. But, you know, there was milk in glass and you could then bring back your glass bottle to get refilled. So things happen within a year and that's only because of individual action. Yeah. So yeah. I think for my whole life I underestimated the power of individual action. But... Not only do governments and companies respond, but you're living an integrated life. If it's something you value and then you're practicing it, you feel you're living your values and Mm. you feel integrated, which is also a great feeling. Mm. And but to your point before, like when I was asking about, 
you know, some of the products that I have or require and they don't come in any other alternatives. So us as um, consumers can start to actually make a change as well and going to the companies and saying, hey, can you provide different packaging? I mean, I think that happened years ago with, you know, the big organisations like Coke or whatever. I mean, yeah. that's a whole other thing as you were talking about recycling. No, but, true. but that was the only thing that happened was actually it was individuals saying we're not going to buy any of your products if unless you change. Yeah, and they see, you know, when they look at market share, they see people, oh, well, they're shifting to bulk food mm, shops. So mm. what's happened in the UK is now they're offering bulk food within some supermarkets and in France as well. And that's only because they've seen they, they're losing a tiny little sliver of market share mm, to those people. like source and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, while I say to people, vote with your dollar and support the small guys who are trying to do the right thing, if money is an issue or, you know, convenience is an Time. issue, yep. yeah, also support, also support the big guys. Even though Unilever is a huge polluter, if they're making changes and bringing in packaging that's sustainable, by all means buy it. Or if they're closing the loop and purchasing, you know, recycled material, which is another important factor is to close the loop. But yeah, I think no matter what you do, if you're just voting with your dollar and conscious and aware, then, you know, that's a good thing. And, and the big pe- the big companies will come on board as well. So Yeah, yeah I think that's really good advice. So, and yeah, to I think the key message for me, though, out of everything that you've done so far is that we can make a difference. One person can make a difference. Exactly. And even if it is to make ourselves feel better um, of the impact we're making, but then that has a reverberation effect. Everyone yeah. that comes into your house, I guess, sees that and asks you what you're doing. Yeah. So talk to me. You mentioned before about the you know fallacy, I guess, around recycling and where does that stand then? So as Australia... You know, we, I think I was in a community in Melbourne where we were one of the first councils, I think, to recycle when I was like eight or 10 years old. And so it was inbuilt in us as a very young age. And I've always felt that Australia had really good policies around this but then obviously what had happened I think was it last year the year before that it all kind of hit the media about when China stopped accepting exactly and then we're like whoa wait what (laughs) that's all our rubbish that we think we're recycling it's all smashed in together sitting on a bloody you know in the side of the ocean as you say I didn't I felt sick about the fact that that was actually Australian rubbish yeah and I think that's the problem is because all these countries once we export the recycling and in inverted commas, it's counted on our own records as being recycled, but there's no auditing or accountability to where it actually goes when it arrives in a developing country. And as you know, that's hugely problematic. Whether it gets recycled or not is no we one don't knows. Care no one, no, and we don't yeah. care. And so I'm sure some, some of it does get recycled, but if you Google, say, if you do a simple Google search, recycling villages Asia, you will see what recycling looks like. Mm. And it's villages literally mounds of plastic everywhere trying to recycle in their own home so the question is do we actually want recycling that's like that the other alternative is that it doesn't get recycled at all it gets illegally dumped it gets incinerated there's just no accountability so developed countries are basically getting rid of the problem by exporting it you know these countries are getting money yes. for our rubbish aren't yeah, they so exactly. that's you know but we're just getting rid of the problem. Yeah. And that's how it ends up as ocean plastic. So while we think, oh, well, it's not my ocean, it's not my recycling that's, or my plastic that's in the ocean, it very, Actually very well could be. be. And yeah. that was like a huge, yeah. a huge thing for me. Having said that, there is a good news story with this because of the awareness. There is a national waste policy now that was developed in, I think it was 2018 for Australia. Um, and there are targets to stop the export of plastics and recycling overseas. Of course, they've delayed the targets already, but that's as early as next year 
year, so 2022, the aim is by mid next year that they will stop exporting plastics. So that's amazing. So there's definitely some great policy agendas, but the big elephant in the room is... Where's it going to go? Yeah, well, they're going to try and beef up the recycling here, but the loops, they're not closed. So where does it all go? So there's so much policy that needs to be done. Mm. And there's good news, you know, there's good news on the horizon in regards to that. But the elephant in the room is... Just don't use it. Stop using it. (laughs) Like, use the stuff we need to use, like for your pottery or whatever, if you need to use it. Or, you know, I'm I'm not perfect. Like, I moved house and had a few plastic crates, but, you know, I'll reuse those for as long as possible. But the point is, anything we can avoid, I mean, it's the basic waste hierarchy that we've been talking about for decades. Mm. Where you can avoid, avoid. And I think that's my mission, is to make people realise your home and your household does not need to produce waste. There are alternatives and there are ways to feed your family, have you know, beautiful products in the bathroom and everything, but just kind of lead the simple life and that the simple life is is where we need to get to. So, and Which it is, is possible. Which is a beautiful message, you know, yeah. given what we've gone through last year and it's still living really most of the, the world. And, you know, bit simplicity has been the key through all this kind of COVID fiasco. Yeah, just slow it, it down. Just, yeah, and just get back to basics. And uh, yeah, I love that. And like to me, the only real, like there's so much magic around, but to watching vegetables grow and then eating vegetables, I mean, I honestly think it's magic. And one of the ways we have got into doing that more, which wasn't possible in the UK, was coming back here and I was, this is one of my big bugbears, is that a lot of councils, municipalities in Australia do not collect compost, whereas in the UK they do. Craziness. I mean, it shouldn't be up to the individual to compost. Composting can be an absolute pain. Having said that, because of what we, my family and our household does, we thought, well, we've got to do our own composting. So I went on my whole own composting journey. I pretty much hate most composting except for the subpod, which has an area on the side where you can grow vegetables as well, which really makes composting a lovely experience rather than disgusting. But through that process, we now grow some of our own veggies and we strategically grow peas because they're very hard to find plastic free. So we grow peas Ooh. and the girls now, you know, peel the, snap the peas. Snap the yeah, peas. But all that's like all these co-benefits. We never would have had that sort of garden family experience if mm. we weren't making the commitment to try and avoid the garden peas in the freezer mm-hmm. section of the supermarket. So I think that's what else I'm really passionate about creating awareness around is that it's not just about quitting plastics about all these other co-benefits as well and even out of composting something I didn't enjoy until I sort of experienced the subpod but you know I mean even the municipality that you know we live in has signed a contract for waste management that does not include compost collection for at least 10 years and to me that's craziness crazy Crazy. yeah Yeah. so what can we do about this I've said that I will get a um, an FOI. Because more and more people are aware around composting now. Yeah. Look, I did say I was going to get an FOI to look at the contract myself. Um, I haven't got around to doing that. But again, this is individual action and community action. So there are a few community groups in this area, R Blue Dot and a, a number of others who are trying to have alternatives for composting because the average person who's running off to a nine-to-five job, three kids, I mean, in an ideal world, we'd all compost, but it should mm. be up to the municipality to do that. Oh, it's, yeah, we don't have a lot of space here, as you can see in our yard and stuff. And um, I tried to make my own. I got on YouTube last year, made my own little uh, compost pot thing. <laughs> it was a bit of a disaster. To yeah, be it can be a disaster. <laughs> it just absolutely stunk. I had to put it out in the front garden. And then, because we have a park across us, I think it was bringing all the bandicoots all the animals, and the rats. Yeah. And my husband's like, this is not working. <laughs> 
I was like, oh, what are you guys? we don't have enough plants to put the, you know, where is the compost? What are you going to do with the soil yeah, afterwards? I'm like, I'll donate it to the street. But it just, yeah, it I'm like, I was trying to make an effort, you know, and because I eat so many veggies and stuff as well, just conscious of all that. But um, I like your idea. I think, you know, potentially we could have street compost pots or something if uh, the council can't do it. Maybe we need to advocate it ourselves. Exactly. And there are some organisations that are popping up who will come and collect it and do okay. it in a community. So they right. are popping up. And who, who are that? Do you know the names of those Not off the top of my head, but if you do show notes, I can get the names for you yeah, and put great. it in the show notes. Yeah, um, we'll but often they're very small operators working on like a community level mm-hmm. when really, again, the elephant in the room is why isn't the council just collecting it and you know making it easier for people to have these zero waste households because mm, beautiful thing so jackie what would you like to leave us with then that's you've provided so much information and um just some really good food for thought for all of us to be far more conscious about our plastic use in our lives and i think everyone is far more conscious but you're going to the next level i'm gonna put it out there right now i'm gonna enroll in your course my poor husband will be like freaking out yeah he'll hate <laughs> He's me the one that plastic that <laughs> um so i will be there with you and um, would love uh, all the listeners to be a part of it as well but what else would you like to say and um you know, finishing up here today? I suppose number one, get together as a household or if you live alone, do a reflection yourself and go through what are your values? Are you living your values? And if one of your values is that you want to be the change you want to see in the environment, then decide to take action. And then in terms of becoming a zero waste household, I would say, you know, a compressed version of my course would be do a big kitchen clear out, transfer everything you've got, collect some jars as, as you go in the next few months, transfer everything you've got into those jars, see the waste pile up when you do a big kitchen clear out and then make a commitment for the next three weeks I'm not going to bring any other plastic into the house and then just see how you go trying to find new places to shop, going to the markets, going into bulk food shops and have that experience and just see how far you can go and if you love it and get excited about it because you're aligning with your values then you'll find the processes and habits that make it very easy. Mm, and, and if you don't, you can sign up to my course because that's what it's all about. Yeah. Having those processes. And- yeah. You're saying you can do it yourself. I love that. And I um, just finished reading Sarah Wilson's latest book yeah. and saw her speak recently as well. And she talked a lot about um, buying in bulk. And, you know, what we're talking about here is obviously there's a cost to it and a bit more um, effort, as you're saying. But actually, if you buy in bulk, you can save a ton of money. You just got to be a little bit more organized. And once you get it into that routine, it's easy. Yeah. And what I say to people is don't, you know, I call it bulk food shop anxiety. Don't walk into the bulk food shop and just go for the treats section and then go, oh my God, how much <laughs> did I spend on treats? Or don't look at a nut and go, oh, that almond at Woolworths is, you know, 10 cents less per hundred grams. As you say, think about the big picture. That nut is a nut. That nut is also your nut milk. And if you avoid buying nut milk for $7 a, mm, a bottle, done. then yeah. you've got to factor in all those costs. Mm. So Um, that's what I encourage people to do as well. And we do a week on that about mindset shifting, understanding what are your hurdles? Are your hurdles that you think it's more expensive? Do you think it's more time consuming? Maybe some of those things are true, but maybe another way of looking at it is, yeah, going to the markets takes half an hour longer, but you know what? That's quality time with my kids and you know, we can... Or by yourself if you get to leave the kids at home. (laughs) If you get to leave the kids at home. Exactly. Or you can talk to the people who produce your food. Or you can find a food that you can understand about seasonality. There are so many ways to look at it rather Mm. than, oh my goodness, it's going to cost more and it's going to take up more time because really I would challenge those things anyway. So sort of shift your thinking yeah it's been beautiful to talk to you today so many things for us to um work on so thanks jackie it's been divine 
Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.